last eight months, we've implemented a project for parents with kids with autism in the Middle East. It may be one of the first parenting courses like this in the entire region. In the process, we've seen hope being poured into families. We've seen parents being able to find and unlock gift things that they never knew their kids had. Thank you for partnering with us in this endeavor. It is making a difference like you can't even imagine. Thank you, Alliance family, for partnering with Envision Dominican Republic. Because of your prayers, giving, and even volunteering of your time to come help us, we've been able to open up a student center and cafe in the university zone here, where we train local and American leaders who have a heart for missions. We're going to be able to share the gospel with over 100,000 students who come to study here. A building that was once known as a brothel has been given new life. We've been able to connect with people coming to English groups, have good conversations about Jesus, share scripture with them, pray with them, and we want to thank you for the valuable part that you play in it. Because of you, when this country was hit hard by the pandemic, our team was able to show God's love in very tangible ways to orphans, families, and widows by donating food, clothing, medicine, and even toys. Even when our team was in serious lockdown, local believers with special work passes were able to partner with us and deliver our contributions. Thank you from our team and from so many of the vulnerable in this country. Because of you, Pastor Nathan was able to go into an unreached area of migrant workers and they began to worship together. He realized they worked at a brick factory seven days a week. Because you gave money, they were able to build a new brick factory. That brick factory is now producing 15,000 bricks a month. They have a benevolent fund to help their kids' education and to help other people who are in need. And they pay Pastor Nathan $30 a month towards his ministry. And now an industry that once enslaved people is being used for the spread of the kingdom. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My darkened soul from rescuing I cried to God for help He heard my voice The tainted earth, they rocked and kneel The heavens bowed, the mountains kneel The thunderous voice of God my covering I will not be afraid
Jesus, we're going to echo those questions. Who is our rock but our God? Whose blood has sealed our freedom? And it is you, Jesus. You've died for us. You've cleansed us. You've welcomed us into your family. And you've given us a seat right next to you to be welcomed into your family. And we appreciate that so much. And we sing and worship you because of that great revelation this morning. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you, team. Well, hey, good morning, Comerground Church. You may have a seat. I'm thrilled that you're worshiping with us this morning. My name is Evan. I'm the lead pastor here, and I have a few announcements for you this morning. Actually, by a few, I mean a lot. We've got a lot this morning, but that's great. You're all ready to pay attention, ready to hear. Um, The first of which is that many of you had signed up um, to be a part of RAP, and that's a ministry in which we are partnering with South Dakota Kids Belong to provide a lot of care um, for families who currently have adopted foster children or who are in the process of that and providing these four means. And we are going to be having a training on this after church, Sunday, February 13th. Um, So you have all kind of indicated, you know, how you feel like you could meet these needs of these WRAP things. And so we're going to have a training on how exactly that's done, what those functions might look like on Sunday, February 13th. And that same week, but on a Wednesday, Wednesday the 16th at 7 p.m. So you have two different opportunities um, to be trained. Uh, Some of you have indicated you could do all four of those things. And so I would encourage you to come to both um, because we won't be able to cover everything in one. And so if you feel like you could fulfill a lot of those roles, come to both um, so you could be trained in all of it. Or you at least have two options so that you could make it to at least one. Next thing is uh, Sunday, February 20th, after church, um, we're going to be having a church membership class. Um, So if you're not a current member of this church, uh, join us February 20th for lunch, and we'll tell you all about it. Um, We'll tell you about our church, some of the history, the denomination, what we're a part of, and just some of the story and some of the things that go on in this place so that you can have a better picture of what exactly is going on and so that you can have an opportunity um, to potentially make a commitment to be a member of this church. And so if you're interested in that, uh, join us for lunch February 20th after church just in the room across the hallway there. Next thing is that in March, uh, March 6th through 14th, we are taking a mission trip to Mexico. Um, We're taking a team of people um, down to Mexico to put on a pastor's retreat, um, to care for the kids of these pastors that are coming in for this retreat, and to be doing various work and service projects in town. Um, For those of you who are signed up and going or still interested in going, we are going to be having some Spanish language training coming up starting on Tuesday, February 8th, 6.30 p.m. at the Parsonage. We will be having Taco Tuesdays, T-A-L-K-O, Taco Tuesdays, practicing our Spanish language and forming this team together. I know you're all impressed. Thank you very much. Came up with that all on my own. Found those taco emojis all on my own, too. So, if you're interested, or honestly, maybe if you just want to improve your Spanish, or if you're really good at Spanish, join us. We'd use all the help you could get. Four for four. So, Taco Tuesdays, starting Tuesday, February 8th, 
6.30 p.m. at the Parsonage. Come find me for the address, because it's where I live, so I don't want to say that on the internet there. So come, talk to me about the address, and you can join us for Taco Tuesdays as we share a meal together and practice our Espanol. Sound good? Also coming up um, that we're really excited about, uh, beginning Sunday mornings before church at 8.30 a.m., square one um, is being kicked off again, uh, starting February 27th. Um, and Square One is a discipleship training program that are very lovely and recovered from all the diseases that he always catches. Nick Rombo is going to be teaching. Um, and the focus is going to be on learning how to build community and learning how to share the gospel. Um, so we recognize that we are all called to, to participate in the Great Commission to share the gospel. But sometimes um, that might not be as simple or as easy um, as it sounds. And that we want to be able to be trained and equipped on how to do this. And so beginning February 27th, before church, um, every morning before church at 8.30 a.m., we'll be across the hall there drinking tons of coffee and learning how to build community, how to share the gospel at Square One. So join us there. That's February 27th, 8.30 a.m. All right, last one here. Uh, maybe some of you have heard the news uh, that our good friends, Jake and Sarah DeGroat, just had their first child this last week. Little baby Lily. Lily Pearl there. Actually cute for a newborn baby. Some newborn babies, they're, they're just not, but Lily actually is. So she's actually cute. Well, we are going to put together a meal train for these guys as they are resting at home and as they are stepping into this new season as parents. Um, we just want to rally around them and to be able to do what we can to help by just providing some meals. And so if you go to mealtrain.com slash E1, that's not an L, E1, EV82, that will come up with our meal train. Or if you just search DeGroats, spelled like DeGroots on there, you'll be able to find it. And I would encourage you, sign up for a time slot. You're going to open it up, and there's going to be time slots in which you could bring a meal to them and just bless them as they now are walking into this new season as parents. So I would encourage you, jump on there and help these guys out as they are now parents. Okay, sound good? You guys remember all those things? Guess what? If you don't remember, my kid doesn't remember any of them. If you don't remember them, go to the Common Ground website, commongroundchurchcma.org, and we have events and updates tab, we have a calendar, and everything else is on there. So you can find it on there, and you don't have to just remember it all. Okay? Sound good? Okay. Sort of. Like two head nods. Well, with that, I'm going to invite you back to your feet, and would you just go ahead and greet one another this morning?
continue in worship.
follow you. We're going to follow you as close as we possibly can so that one day we would look like you, Jesus. We would walk like you. We would talk like you. And ultimately, Jesus, that we would love one another like you love. 
thank you for setting that example for us. So we just pray this in your holy name. Amen. Common ground, you can have a seat. We give of ourselves, we give of our tithes, and we give of our offerings. Um, as always, I like to bring up the three ways to give here at Common Ground. We have our giving links listed up there on the screen, as well as a giving box in the back corner over there. So if you'd like to give in person, that's always an option. And so with that, we will be singing the next song. Uh, it's called Spirit Lead Me. And I just want to encourage you guys really to just um, listen to that inner voice inside of you this morning. Uh, remember that we're all temples and the Holy Spirit is within us. And so I pray that this song would um, encourage all of you guys to listen to that voice inside of you. Um, turn your eyes towards God and to open your ears and listen to what he's saying to you this morning. So with that, let's sing. Water from the rocks to 
to satisfy my thirst and to love me at my worst. Even when I don't remember, you remind me of my worth. I don't trust my weight, trading in my thoughts. I've laid down everything, cause you're all that I want. into our time of prayer. Hey, Matt, can I have you around mic? Yeah. Can I have this? And so it's during this time in which we devote the next 5, 10, 15, however long you guys want to make it, um, amount of time um, to praying for one another, um, to sharing the things in our lives that we are praising God for, um, the things that we want to share with the community as an encouragement of what God has done in our lives, um, or to make requests on what it is that we are currently asking God to do, asking God to change in our lives, and asking the people of Common Ground um, to come with us in this thing and to pray with us and to stand by us. And so it's at this time that we share these things. Um, we share how it is um, we can be praying for you or how it is that we can be praying God, uh, praising God for what he's done in your life. And so I'm going to open the floor um, to those requests. Matt is going to be running a mic around. So if you'd like to share something, um, please just raise your hand. He'll come to you, remind us of your name, and then just let us know how we can be praying for you or how we can be praising God on your behalf. So with that, I'll open the floor here. I'm Chris. Um, two weeks ago, my sister's boyfriend was in a welding accident where he works um the 
the prior shift hadn't done something right and he ended up with a large piece of steel landing on him. Um, praise that he's alive and he can walk and overall is really well. Um, like seven guys on the crew couldn't pick it off of him. Um, and so he's in the back brakes and just moving forward looking for healing and guidance. Um, he went in to fill out forms and his employer had already filled out that it was a shoulder injury. And so just guidance through all of that and healing for him. Mm. Yeah. We'll be praying for him. What is his name again, Chris? Uh, Matt. Too slow, Mandy. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sorry. Uh, hi, my name is David. Um, uh, first off, uh, my wife Allie and I had been waiting um, to uh, buy a house from uh, one of our family members. We we're waiting on them to be able to find an apartment, and it looks like it's finally happening. They found an apartment, and so we're moving in the summer. It's going to be a lot of work, mm -hmm. um, so we're just praying um, for wisdom and just for that to go as smoothly as possible. Um, and then uh, secondly, uh, speaking for myself, I had a very emotionally draining week, but um, the way I see it, uh, God's probably shaking things up and just, he has a lesson for me somewhere, so I'm praying that I can um, be receptive to that and not get focused on me, but focused on what he wants. How long has it been since you've been trying to get into the house? A couple of years, maybe. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, praise God. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Mandy, are you next in line? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to do Kara. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Mandy. Uh, Kara. I just wanted to ask for prayers for um, the agencies in town and mm -hmm. specifically, always on my heart, is the Hope Center. Um, they're understaffed and tired mm -hmm. <laughs> and they have a lot going on so I just would like to ask for prayers for strength and perseverance mm -hmm. and rest as well yeah. yeah I'll be praying for everybody at the Hope Center just all the work that they're doing can imagine how hard that is thanks Matt <laughs> um, I just wanted to give you an update on our family in Texas our son-in-law gets to go back to work since the 1st of August doing light work starting Monday. Um, his pain is getting a little bit better, but uh, we just we need to pray he does not <clears throat> go beyond his limits because he's one of those kind of pusher kind of people. Um, and the baby's doing well. She's making progress. It's not fast progress, but she is moving forward, and we're really excited. She's off of all machines and tubes except for her feeding and um, a lot of other things if you want to get more information you can come talk to us mm -hmm. but things are things are looking a little brighter on that side now so we just really thank God for that I am Dayton uh, talked to you before about Ron Baker and uh, the situation is turning downward uh, it appears to be giving up bounce back many times before could happen again so it's hard to know what to pray for if this is the time or not but uh, trust God to uh, bring out whatever out outcome for this time very 
secure in the knowledge that he knows his Lord and he loves him. Pardon. No, he's, he's down in Tucson. Hard update to hear, but we're gonna trust God in it. Just gonna help us in that, Kyle. Um, so an update. Um, you know, pr uh, praising um, God for his my situation with Emily. Um, Emily was able to get into a new home, so they're no longer um, living with um, their family friend, and all the health side effects of the black mold has mm. pretty much disappeared. So praise for that. Oh, praise God. Praise God new situation and for healing for that. Uh, my name's Corinne. Um, my boyfriend, Ben, has been living in Minnesota for about a year and a half now. Um, and just, uh, I think it was Wednesday, his dad went up to the cities to interview for a new job. Um, He's been a teacher, a uh, high school physics teacher for 30 years. Um, so there's a possibility that the Braun family will be moving, which will be really big for them because they haven't been out of this house since uh, Ben and his brother were in elementary school. So first for guidance in that and that they would trust God. Mm, yeah, I'll be praying for Ben. You missed that guy. <laughs> you can handle it. Uh, so I'm Logan. Um, got a couple things. Uh, first off, uh, Andrea's cousin is four days past her due date for giving birth. Um, and so she went in to um, get induced, and she is not dilated at all yet. They just gave her an epidural. Um, yeah, that's easier. And then on top of that, so just prayers for her and that, that all goes well. Um, the other end of that on our end is this little girl here has uh, been dealing with croup for the last week and she, it doesn't act like it, but she hasn't been feeling the best. Um, you can hear it in her rasp and the cough. She's gotten a uh, steroid and stuff that's helped, but she's still just kind of dealing with all that kind of crud. And it seems to always happen when Grandma and Grandpa come visit, so. <laughs> Not but, blaming yeah, anyone. Prayers for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll pray for little Yara. She's been sick there. Hello, I'm Kayla. Um... I know you guys have been praying for my mom, and um, this last week she uh, had an oncology visit with a new oncologist, and that seems to be good. Um, we're pretty excited about this new oncologist because she kind of doesn't look at my mom's situation as, like, the last thing. Um, but um, I would like to ask for some prayers for my mom's appetite. Um, she has lost a significant amount of weight um, since starting treatment, and it's starting to get pretty bad, and if um, she drops any lower, she's going to be put on nutrition, and mm -hmm. so we're just praying that she can get an appetite and start eating and gaining some weight, so. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, too, Kayla. Yeah. Praying for your mom. Mom with her cancer. It's been a while. Okay. So, so. 
so yesterday I went up on a hike with um, one of my friends, and on our way back down, we hit a gravel patch um, and slid off the side of the road. So um, his radiator was pushed in and broken. So um, just prayers for him in that situation of being able to get his um, car fixed in a time of you know heavy work for him. So, yeah, wow, that's stressful. Well, glad you guys are okay. But yeah, that's. That's it, and I'm just going to invite you guys um, to bow your heads um, and to turn to the Lord um, with us in prayer as we take these things before him. Um, So would you bow your heads in prayer with me, please? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, we just thank you for being a God who hears us. Um, We just thank you um, for giving us access to you, um, that we can come before you um, with these things. Um, God, we just come before you um, asking for, for healing and for help um, with Chris's um, sister's boyfriend, Matt, um, just with this horrible accident um, that took place. Uh, We just praise you that he is alive uh, with how big of a piece of metal it is that fell on him, God. We just know that the outcome could have been so much worse. And so we give you full credit um, for for saving his life and for preventing that. But God, now we ask you to to help um, with the healing. Um, Now he has a long road of recovery ahead of him, and let alone the challenges that that lead him to face, but also just all the details that need to be worked out um, with insurance, um, with what he's doing for work, and with all these different things. We just ask that you would be working in those details as well, um, so that the family can just wrap around him um, and participate in his healing. God, would you just handle all the other details? And we just thank for Chris and his sister and and the people that you've placed around him. And so we just ask that you would use them in this situation. God, we praise you for for the Carters, um, for the new home that they are finally in, um, this long-awaited change that they have been patiently uh, pursuing. God, we just praise you for that, and we just see your hand in it. We see your hand in all the waiting and all that you have done in their lives in the meantime. And so we just praise you um, that that is over and that they'll finally be able to move into it. Um, But God, in the midst of that, there's going to be a lot of things that will need to take place. Uh, Moving is never easy, and so would you just help them with the details as well? Uh, Would you just continue to bring people into their lives who can help with that. Uh, remind them that they are not alone in that. Um, and especially as, as David works um, the stressful job that he does. God, we just thank you um, for the place that you have placed David. Uh, we just recognize your sovereign hand is what has led him um, to this line of work, and we just ask that you'd be with him in there. Um, would you just remember, uh, remind him of why it is that you have placed him in there? Would you just give him purpose and meaning in that? And would you give him um, just the encouragement that he needs gets him down, and it causes so much stress, so much anxiety. God, I just ask that your spirit would feel close to him at work this week. Um, Even in the midst of all the stress, all the anxiety, uh, would you be a comforter? Would you be a healer in the midst of that? My God, we pray for um, for Kara, and just as she has uh, moved out of the Hope Center and and still just has such a heart for those people and the work that is done, uh, we praise you for the work that you do in the Hope Center and in these agencies every single day. Um, but God, we just know that the, the people that you have placed in those situations to, to help and to work and to be your hands and feet to the people who need it most um, are weary, are tired, are, are struggling in this season. Um, there's more work than they have the ability to handle. Um, so we pray for them. God, we ask that you would just be at the Hope Center this week. Um, with your spirit just be empowering individuals, encouraging them uh, when it seems like what they're doing um, just gets them down. 
God, we know that anything that we do in your name is not in vain, but that you work even in the things that we don't understand. So would you just be encouraging them in that? And God, as we have prayed for baby Tessa and Justin and and Tim and Mandy's family um, over the last few months, we just praise you for the slow progress that is taking place. Um, It might not be at the pace that we want, uh, but we know that you are on a different schedule, um, and we know that your will is best. So God, we just praise you for the slow progress that has been done. Uh, We thank you that Justin is going to be able to return to work, um, but God, uh, in this time, there are restrictions on him because of his accident that he will need to follow. So would you just continue to remind him of how important that is, and would you just protect him um, from any damage that could be done further? Um, We just thank you for the hand that you've placed on that family. Would you continue to empower Tim and Mandy um, to be the grandparents that you've called them to be, um, just this great example that they are to us, of people who love their family well. Uh, Would you just empower them and continue to to build those giftings up in them? And God, um, we just recognize the, uh, the hard news about hearing better old friend Ron Baker and this, this downward turn that, that Dayton has shared. Um, God, when his spirit just seems to be giving up and weak, um, we don't really know what to pray for, God. Uh, but you have promised that in these situations where it does seem so unclear, um, that we can just turn to you and that your Holy Spirit actually helps us to know what to pray for. So God, I just ask that you would empower each and every one of us as you bring Ron to mind to know what exactly your will is in this situation. God, we recognize that that he's in a place of pain, and so we ask that you would help him in that, um, help his appetite, help his eating. But God, we we trust you in the face of this this dark and scary situation. And we just affirm that even when these situations are not good, that you are only, you are only good. We just declare that today. God, uh, we pray for for Kyle's girlfriend down in Colorado, just the, uh, the situation that her family has been in um, with a pretty dark situation, feeling like they're stuck in a home with black mold and there is no way out. God, we just thank you for getting them out of there, um, for the new home, for the provision. We just see you providing places of rest and life, and we praise you for that. We praise you for that. God, we pray for Kyle's friend. Um, you've just given him such a heart for his friends, and you've given him so many good relationships. Um, we just pray for this friend that just had the car accident and the the headache and the stress that that has caused and just the the way that that can get um, life just off track, it seems like. And so we just pray for that situation. Would you just make this something that can be handled, um, something that can be settled? And would you just continue to empower Kyle um, to be the friend that you've called him and made him to be? And we just thank you for his place in all these people's lives, um, the agent that he is for you. And God, we remember our old friend Ben. Um, friend that we miss so much and just how much change he's been through over the last year and um, we pray for this ch- potential change um, with his family moving uh, out of their home that they grew up in uh, god would you just be in control of this situation um, we just recognize that that your plans are good and that you are in control and so we just pray um, in the midst of all this that it it is still not easy um, that it still will cause change and disruption and we just pray for ben in that situation um, we thank you for corinne and um, just the place that she has in his life um, the ways that you use her um, to bring him closer to you. Would you just continue that work? Um, and God, for, for the Phelps family, um, we just pray for Andrew's cousin, um, this scary situation of being past due, and for not knowing um, what is going to happen to this new life that is on its way. Uh, God, you're the only one who seems like who can do anything about this situation, so we ask that of you. 
would you, the great physician, uh, perform a miracle that we could give you full credit for. God, uh, we just pray for little baby Liara. Um, These sicknesses that just keep coming onto her, would you just heal that little body? Uh, Would you just give Logan and Andrea the strength that they need um, to be the parents of of this this little girl? And God, we we pray for Kayla's mom, um, for the cancer that she's been facing. God, so many um, just look at it as a hopeless situation, but God, we know that that with you all things are possible and that you are the God who heals. And so we pray um, as her appetite is taking a dive that you would change that, that you would give her an appetite, that you would help her to sustain and to gain this weight, um, that you would do a healing. Um, God, we just thank you for the new oncologist, the new doctor that you've given her. Um, we just hope that you would be in this doctor's heart and mind, um, knowing that you are the way that something like this is going to change. So we just ask for wisdom and guidance and your spirit to be at work in this situation. And we just recognize that that you are the only one um, who can truly do anything about this. So we turn to you and we ask you to act, that we may praise you on the other side of this for the great work that you've done. And so, Father God, we come before you with all these things. We know that nothing we can ever bring before you is too much for you to handle. And God, we just ask that you would work in ways that only you can, and that we would be a people whose eyes are open to see the ways that you work in and amongst us, people who, who share these stories, who praise you for it. And Father God, as we turn to your word now, would you be speaking to us? We know that you have revealed yourself in the scriptures and you teach us every single day from them. And so we just turn to you with big expectations of what it is you're going to share. Would you empower me to speak these words that you have for us today? That what is to be said will be said and what isn't will be left out. God, I just, just give you control in that situation. And we just open up our hearts, our ears, our hands to what it is that you're going to do. So Jesus, uh, we just give this time to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you guys. Thank you for entering into that time of prayer. And as we have been talking about, we are in the book of Hebrews currently. We are in chapter 3 today as we have been working our way through this book of Hebrews. It's a fun one, but kind of a tricky one. Um, And as we talked about the book of Hebrews, um, it's different from a lot of the other New Testament books. It's not really written like a letter, like a lot of other of the New Testament books are, but it's actually more of a sermon. A lot of scholars say it's built more like a sermon, a speech. It's this exhortation, as the author told us in chapter 13. And so it's this message. It's this sermon given to a specific group of people. Um, The preacher is anonymous. They didn't leave their name on it. Uh, We don't know who wrote it. Um, But this preacher is writing um, to these people about a lot of very serious things. Um, And so it's this important message of encouragement and of teaching um, to this group of believers who are dealing with a lot. Um, And these people, uh, one of the things that they were facing was a bit of a disappointment at essentially where they found themselves in the timeline of history. Um, These people are living in like the 60s, they estimate, not the 1960s, but just the straight up 60s. Um, And so these were basically second-generation Christians. Uh, Most of them probably didn't see Jesus for themselves in person, um, but were told about Jesus by the very disciples who did, or by people who did see Jesus in person. Um, But at this point, by the time the 60s rolled around, they were kind of thinking that the world would be different by now. They thought, like, well, surely Jesus would have come back by now. Surely, like, things would have changed. And so they're getting a little disappointed, feeling like they don't have all that much to hang on to. They're like... 
you know, just a little too late to have seen Jesus in person. And now it's like, man, it's been 30 whole years since Jesus, and they're thinking, like, when is he going to return? And now here we are a few thousand years later thinking, like, well, you know, still going. Like, we can kind of relate, right? Um, but they were legitimately sad. Um, didn't feel like they had much to hold on to. And following Jesus was getting increasingly difficult. It was getting kind of tedious. Um, they were all wondering, you know, how much longer is it going to be? How much longer is this going to be? And how can we continue on in the journey of faith? Um, and you can tell as we go through this that the preacher really had a good relationship with them. He really knew some of the things that they were going through. He knew a lot of the certain struggles and the difficulties that they were having. And so as we work through the book of Hebrews, you see him teaching into all these different struggles, all these different issues that they had. He's addressing all these theological issues. He's addressing things from the Old Testament that maybe they were confused about. And he's walking them through all these different, basically, problems that they were having in their faith. Um, and what I hope you kind of recognize, especially today, and as we've been in this book for a few weeks, is that the way the preacher addresses these issues or these big questions that they have is simply by talking about Jesus. Um, if you see that over and over again, they have all these questions about, about Moses, about angels, about the sacrificial system, about all these different ideas. And he addresses each and every one of them by talking about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and what he means to us. What his work on the cross really meant. And when the issue he is addressing here is the problem of finishing the journey of faith, essentially. That these people um, were a people who had started the journey of faith off well, but he's reminding them that it's not just about starting the journey, but that it's actually important to finish this journey as well. And that as you go on this journey of faith, um, it gets very difficult. But nonetheless, we can't turn back, like some of them were tempted to do, and we can't fall asleep. We can't um, just essentially drift away, as chapter 2 talked about. We can't be so distracted um, that we don't keep our focus on where we're headed. And so they needed to be warned of this, to hold on to Christ and to finish this journey of faith when it was getting tedious, when it was getting hard and they were tempted to turn back, or when they were just feeling like they were worn out and tired of doing it, they just wanted to kind of give in to their feelings and to essentially fall asleep at the wheel. It's kind of the picture that he's addressing here. And to kind of lean in to that analogy, um, we know that, okay, falling asleep when driving a car is very, very dangerous. It happens to people all the time, and it does never have good results. This is not a good thing. But what we know is that no one gets into a car with the plan of falling asleep, right? You don't plan on falling asleep at the wheel. That doesn't happen to anyone. Typically, you get in the car with a destination in mind. You're like, I'm going to stay awake, stay awake, alert, and alive, and to be able to make it to my destination. And when I get to that destination, then I can sleep, then I can rest. But in the meantime, no matter what I'm feeling, I need to basically fight those feelings and stay awake in order to arrive alive. Now, I have, I have driven tired sometimes. I try, I definitely try not to, try to avoid that. But one of the times in which it was really hard to avoid um, was like, especially when Lena and I were dating, and we made a point that we were not going to, you know, spend the night anywhere together because we just would have not been able to handle that. And so we just had to do day trips. We were going to just do day trips, but we didn't want to be limited by the inability to, like, stay the night anywhere. So, like, we still wanted to go to all these cool places, but we had to wake up at 5 a.m., you know, drive, like, four hours to find some cool hike, hike all day, and then once it got dark, we had to drive back. And so at the end of a long day, I was like always just exhausted, tired, just hanging on, making sure that I don't 
fall asleep. And I can say this because Lena will affirm it, that, you know, my wife is full of life. She's so much fun. She's so talkative and just energetic to be around. But in the car, that lasts for like maybe 20 minutes. And then she's out every single time. Just like, she's honestly the worst person to take a road trip with because she'll just all hear like her seat leaning back and it'll go, and she just goes, good night. I'll be like, all right, well, see you when we get there, I guess. She always just passes out. And so on these long drives, I was always just like alone, struggling to stay awake, trying to do anything and everything I could um, to not fall asleep at the wheel, not go careening off the edge. And so some of the things I would do is I remember this one trip um, where I was just getting really, really tired. It was late. It was a long day. And I was pinching my thigh to try to just like wake myself up. Like I had ran out of options. I was like trying to pinch my thigh hard enough to stay awake. And at the end of it, I had like welts all up and down my leg. It was not good. But you basically do anything and everything you can to stay awake, right? Like you turn on the AC in the winter. You roll down a window. Uh, The best thing to do, here's a little Oregonian tip. When it's pouring down rain, you're going 65 on the highway. Roll down the window. Stick your head out. (laughs) A little rain on the face does you good. It'll wake you up. Or eating, eating was a good thing, like cranking up the stereo, playing, playing a song that you can jam out to, or maybe a song that you hate, that actually works pretty well, That's also, I learned that. But you do anything and everything you can to stay awake, to stay focused on your destination. You know that, like, okay, your body, your feelings are telling you, like, oh, like it's, it's been a long day, I just want to rest. Look at these nice leather seats, let's just lean back and sleep. And those feelings come up, and you just have to say, like, no. Feelings, no. We're not doing this. We're not going to sleep. We can sleep when we get there, but we have to stay awake right now. And none of us get into the car planning to fall asleep. We know we have this destination in mind, but as the drive goes, as it gets tedious, as the journey gets longer and longer, there comes a point where, like, oh, our feelings are just hard to work through. They're just hard to to fight. We do everything that we can. I don't know. We get out of the car, walk around, call a friend, do snow angels, whatever we have to do. We do what we have to do to get to the destination safely. And this is essentially what chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews is going to be about. He's saying that, that what saving faith is, is focusing on that destination. It's trusting God and focusing on getting there. And he's saying, hey, Hebrews, I know you're being persecuted and it's hard. You're ostracized from your community. Following God is becoming tedious. You're, you're tempted to go back. You're tempted to just be a Jew again. You're tempted to um, just give in to these feelings of fatigue. But don't turn back and don't give in to those feelings. And so he's basically saying, like, you might need to slap yourself, pinch yourself, eat something, turn something on, talk to someone else. You're going to have to do whatever you can do to remember God's words and to focus on where you're going. Maybe you need to, like, reset the GPS. Just have the GPS keep talking to you. Um, something I've done, I have in, in my car, the GPS is, like, an Australian woman, and she, like, can't pronounce anything, so it's kind of funny to, like, hear her. Like, if some of you guys text me, like, Jamin, it pronounces his name as Jameen, or, like, Joey and Lindsay Mulcahy is Mulsahi. Like, that's not even close. Or, like, it'll, if Nick texts me, it says, like, Nick Rombo, and it's like, that's not a name. There's no way it's, like, it says that. Like, <laughs> But nonetheless, like you do what you can. You're reminded of where you're going. You have to just continually remember these things. And that's what the book of Hebrews in chapter 3 is about. And so, if you found your way there, we're going to read the whole chapter here. It's not too much, but this is, this is the, the kind of the wake-up call for them, the reminder. Don't turn back. Don't fall asleep. Focus on where God is taking you. So starting in verse 1, 
Hebrews chapter 3. We'll have the words on the screen as well. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, which, heavenly calling, who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians here. Um, You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as his servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of the testing in the wilderness, and where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That's Hebrews chapter 3 here. And so, basically, he's addressing this very important issue that they're having. And what does anyone need to know or need to hear about um, when facing some of these theological issues or some of these life problems, but they need to hear about Jesus. And hopefully, as we continue through this book, that's one of the things that you'll see, is that he's constantly reminding us about Jesus. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's comparing Jesus to angels. And now here in chapter 3, he's comparing Jesus to another iconic Old Testament figure. He's comparing Jesus to Moses. Compares him to Moses in the beginning here. Talks about Moses, compares Jesus to him. Um, not to like bring Moses down or to bash Moses or to say that he didn't do anything right, um, but just to point out that everything in Moses' life was actually to point to Jesus. That Moses is great, he did a good job, he was faithful in everything he did, but Moses was never meant to be a final solution or the end game. Actually, his life was foreshadowing and pointing towards Jesus. And so he chooses Moses here to talk to them about Jesus. And he does this for a specific reason. This wasn't just like some fun analogy that he came up with. Um, But Moses is a very important person in the Old Testament. We know that the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. Um, And in fact, um, the author of Hebrews here says at the beginning there in verse, where is it, when he quotes him in verse 7, he doesn't even say that Moses wrote it. He says, as the Holy Spirit says, as a reminder that Moses was faithful to record the very words of God here. And so we say, hey, Moses was a great follower, faithful, doing whatever God said, writing whatever God was calling him to write, and that the story of Moses is trustworthy. The Holy Spirit himself 
wrote it. And so what he's saying here is that Moses was great, and Moses had an important role in building the family or the building the house of God, but then he points out that Moses was just the builder. He was just a servant in the house of God, in the people of God. And he says that Jesus isn't the servant. Jesus is the son. And he makes this comparison. And this seems like kind of an old school idea, right, to have a household run by a son. Um, Are there any older sisters of younger brothers who would love to just see their younger brother um, just by default take over the family estate? Just nothing to say about it? Winter, you're up for that? Right? It's a little different in our culture today, but nonetheless, this is kind of how things worked, right? That a servant was one role, um, but a son was completely different. Just by virtue of the relationship that he had, he was completely different. Um, And to kind of compare the two, um, this is from a study resource from Dr. Robert Peterson um, in his book on the book of Hebrews, where he kind of describes the difference between a son and a servant. And he wrote this. A servant is always preparing things, preparing meals, preparing rooms, preparing the yard, always working in anticipation of something yet to come. The role of a son is to take over everything, to use whatever he wants and likes. The house was made, and he would go on to eventually say, like, it was prepared for him, for the son. Moses gave the law. Jesus fulfilled it. The law points to sin. Jesus erased that sin. Moses took the people to the promised land. Jesus takes the people to the kingdom of God. Moses changed the lives of God's people, but Jesus changed the hearts of God's people. And so what he's saying in this chapter here is that, yeah, Moses is great, but he was never meant to be the final solution. That he was just pointing to Jesus, that he was preparing the way for Jesus, essentially. He played a role, but he wasn't the final solution. And for these people who were tempted, essentially, to turn back, What they were tempted to turn back to was this system that Moses played a key role in bringing into place. Um, The law. Typically, when an early first century Jew, like one who would have been the original audience for the book of Hebrews, would hear the name Moses, they would equate Moses with the law, with the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments that God gave the people to live by. Right? You remember the story of the Ten Commandments being given? Right? Moses is up on the mountain speaking with God, and God is making a covenant with the people of Israel that they're going to be his people, and he's going to give them the law that they are to live by. Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, and he sees the people um, who weren't being patient, waiting for him, but had made a golden calf out of all the jewelry and gold that they brought out of Egypt, and were basically worshiping this Egyptian cow god that they were hoping would help them to be strong and give them lots of food. And so when Moses first brought down the Ten Commandments, He threw the Ten Commandments to the ground and broke them. And, okay, it was a pretty good image of breaking the law right there. And it's funny, then he actually, uh, he ground up that golden calf that they were worshiping, put it in their water, and made them drink it. (laughs) It's like, wow, Moses, he he was not happy. Um, But nonetheless, made them do that. But when it comes to the law, it was always associated with Moses, because he was the one that God used to institute the law. He represented the law. He was the guy who had to hold them to this set of rules, a set of standards that they were to live by. And he was the one who had to call them out for breaking it. He was the one who had to make them like drink their idols when they were going wrong. And so when it comes to the people of Hebrews here, this struggle that the preacher is addressing, it's that now they were following Christ. Christ had fulfilled the law, but they were tempted to go back to it. 
They were tempted to still live under the, the festivals, the sacrifices, the things you had to do to make yourself right with God that Jesus had fulfilled. That Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross was forgiveness of sins once and for all. But these people were still struggling with this idea, and they were thinking, well, like, how do we really know that we're saved? Just by believing in this guy? Like, can't I sacrifice things once a year instead? Like, that's much more manageable. It fills me with encouragement, knowing that I can control it. And the author of Hebrews is reminding them, like, no, that was not the final solution, but Jesus was. Don't go back to these, this old set of sacrifices and laws. Don't go back to this, this system in which you controlled things, in which you banked on your own righteousness and your own ability to follow these laws. But just bank on Christ. Hold fast to the confidence and boast in the hope, as he said in the beginning of the chapter there. Trust that, that Jesus fulfilled what the law required. Don't turn back to these old ways. But these people were like, you know, how do I know that this actually helps me? It doesn't, it doesn't make me feel good. And they're probably thinking like, well, pork hurts my stomach. Like, uh, these things are probably bad. And he's saying, no, don't turn back. Don't turn back to the law. He's pointing out that the law didn't actually save anyone. And this is something that we're going to get to in later chapters. He's going to talk about this a lot that the purpose of the law was to point out need, essentially. To point out that God is in control. And so all of the evil outside of um, the Israelites in the wilderness, you know, the Egyptians coming at them, the Amalekites coming at them, whatever they could face was not actually a risk to them, that God was going to protect them from all those things. But actually the biggest risk and the biggest threat to them wasn't the evil outside of them, it was the evil in their own hearts, right? It was their own rebellion against God. And so the law was given to show them, to highlight them, to them, that you have this evil in your own hearts that will lead you to rebelling against God, to not trusting him. And that was the role, just to point to it. The law is to point out that this evil exists in your heart. But it didn't actually do anything to change it, right? The law was just given to point this out. And it's only Christ who is going to be the one to have the power to fix it, right? You couldn't just work through these behavior modifications and be fixed. Um, it was just going to point out the problem with the behavior. It wasn't going to fix it. You could break the law and have all these punishments take place, but it's not actually going to change anything. Hence the reason Jesus had to come and die. Because the law wasn't going to save anyone. These rules, these rituals, wasn't going to save anyone. But it's just faith in God. And then the illustration that we see in this chapter, like from verses 7 to 11, um, and then basically from 9 to like, well, I guess even like 14 to the end of the chapter, uh, this illustration he's using is that people wandering around in the wilderness and having this rebellious heart, not having this soft heart towards God, not being open to what he is saying or trusting in him, but just having this hard, unchanging untrusting heart. And this is the, the analogy that he's saying here. And he actually um, quotes this passage where it says in verse 9 that because of their unbelief that they were actually putting God to the test. They were basically testing God's patience, so to speak. And God was saying, like, I was proven to be true. I held up my end. Failure was not my end. But the breakdown was on your end. You guys having a hard heart. You guys not trusting me. Not having an open heart to what it is that I want for you. 
And it's been said before that, right, like the heart of every problem is a problem with the heart. That there's, there's a heart problem that each and every one of us have. That there is this internal battle between what we experience and what God is calling out of us that we need help with. And that there are times when, when we struggle in faith or where we might be drifting away, as chapter 2 indicates, um, and it's actually typically not the problem with what's coming at us from outside, but it's actually the sin in our own hearts. Um, it's actually this problem of a, of a hardened heart that God is, is pointing out and he's calling us to. And when we feel this, essentially the call for us is to, to consider um, the condition of our heart. Um, to say, as the psalmist said, you know, God, search my heart, test my heart. See if there's anything that you want to change in it. Test my heart. And the question I think we all have to ask very often is, you know, how is, how is my heart doing when it comes to, to following God, to being soft, to being hard before God? Search my heart. And that if we are a people who hold fast to our confidence, who boast in our hope, um, essentially we need our heart changed here. Now on that topic, do you want the good news or the bad news first? Bad news? Resounding answer for bad news. Okay. Uh, the bad news here is that none of us actually have the ability to change our own hearts. And the law didn't have that ability as well. This controllable system in which we can do these things uh, didn't actually have the ability to change our hearts. We cannot change our own hearts. None of us have that ability. Um, the word heart in the Old Testament in Hebrew is leb, L-E-B. It's a fun one. Your leb. Um, and especially when it's talked about in the Bible, it's obviously we know it's not the organ, um, but it's kind of this word for like the spiritual emotional center. Um, it usually just means like the inner man, and oftentimes it's used to talk about the mind, the understanding, the soul, and where the thinking, reflection, memories, inclinations, um, the appetites, the passions that we have lie. Basically, it's like all the software in us, not the hardware, right? Do we have any like software engineers? Does Minds have a software engineering program? They do? We don't have any of that, do we? You're all just like hardware people? Pretty much? Okay, that's okay. Because frankly, that's like a little more manageable, easier to deal with. Like software just seems so like hard to change or fix. Like what do you, how, where do you even start? Changing behavior, changing the hardware, changing those things is pretty easy, right? Especially when it comes to the law, you just like say, don't do A or B will happen to you, and it's like, sweet. The behavior can be controlled, it can be managed, it can be directed, and we can kind of work with the outer appearance, and we can kind of work with that. Um, Christians tend to be pretty good at following rules. I know we love to, you know, bash other Christians and talk about how hypocritical the church is a lot, but like in general, Christians are pretty decent at following the law or keeping like the outside clean and looking good. Christians are pretty good at it. The thing is, honestly, like, who cares? Like, who cares if we've got everything on the outside figured out? Um, because what God is reminding us is that they, the problem is internal. The problem is the heart, anyway. And these laws, these behavior changes, these things that we can do to work on the hardware uh, doesn't actually affect the software. It doesn't actually make those changes. But what really matters is what's going on in the heart because that's, it's from that place that our faith and our trust in God lies. So we know our own inability to change our hearts, right? We know that if, if someone hurts us, um, if we make this decision to, to just hate or to not 
treat this person lovingly, like ah, no amount of just effort can really get us out of that. Or we just know that even as followers of Christ, um, we are just sinful people. And we know that our effort doesn't always change that. Or even like rules put in place or these, these disciplines that we can train ourselves in, they don't always change that. They might direct our behavior, but they don't actually change the heart. And that's the bad news, that none of us can actually change our hearts. But then there's the good news. I guess you guys like this second for a reason. I agree. The good news is that even though we don't have the ability to change our hearts, that God does, and he wants to. And he essentially invites us to say, like, just be my people and trust me. And to say, God, test my heart, search my heart, change my heart. And this is something that he wants to do. He's ready to do. And he's the one who empowers us to hold fast to our confidence, as it says here. Um, and as we talked about last week, that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one in whom our faith lies, and he's actually the one who guides us along this journey of faith as well. He's the one who is perfecting our faith, changing our hearts. He's the one who moves us in the direction that he's calling us to. And so he's saying to these people, when it comes to the law and Moses, don't look back. Don't look back. Try to make this something that you can do and you can change. You don't have that ability. Only God does. Don't turn back to the law. Don't turn back to your old sinful ways. Those things are useless. But instead, lean on Christ. Lean on your faith. Bank or boast, as it says in this place. Uh, boast in the confidence and the hope that you have in Christ. And so mentioning Moses, um, for these people, they would have immediately thought of the law. Of the system of rules and regulations that they could control in order to try to change their situations. But the law doesn't actually change that. Christ and only faith does. What they would have also had in their minds when hearing Moses is, of course, the whole story of Moses, right? Moses, his life takes up a pretty big chunk of the Old Testament. We know that he wrote the first five books, and we know that a lot of it is just about him and his life. Um, his story starts in the book of Exodus, and it continues on all the way through Deuteronomy. And so when talking about Moses, the original audience would also just have this entire story in their mind. They'd be thinking of all the different things that Moses went through, all the different things that Moses did, um, the work that he did for God. And the author here addresses that work. He's like, yeah, Moses did a great job. He was a good servant. And one of the things that we noticed about Moses' life was just that it was, first off, amazing. It was just marked by miracles, by the works of God. If you know the story, um, just to try to summarize the major points, you'll know that the Jews, they had spent 430 years in Egypt, and it wasn't all bad, but it was after Joseph, the guy with the pretty coat, right? After he died, that things turned bad, that Pharaoh then enslaved the people, and he's going to use them to, like, build the empire. But eventually, the people group became so large that Pharaoh was nervous about them rebelling or overthrowing him, and so he ordered that all the male children of the Jews would be put to death, because he didn't want to risk an uprising later. And so Moses' mom, in order to save him, right, puts him in a basket and floats him down the river to hopefully save his life. And she's just praying, God, would you perform a miracle? I mean, how risky is that to put a baby in a basket and float it down the river? But what happened when she prayed for God to perform a miracle is that the Pharaoh's daughter actually found the basket with his baby floating down the river and picked it up and was planning to save and adopt this baby. But then she's... Pharaoh's daughter, she's the princess, so she's like, I ain't raising no baby. 
I'll just hire someone to raise the baby. And so she basically put out a job posting. Hey, would someone like to raise this baby? Moses' mom is like, yeah, I'll take that job. And Moses' biological mother actually got to raise him, but get paid for it in Pharaoh's palace. Deal. It's, it's honestly amazing. It's a miracle. God worked these things out. As Moses' life goes on, right, he gets into an altercation, ends up killing an Egyptian, and so he has to run out of town. Um, he's out in the wilderness as a shepherd, and that's where he has the encounter with the burning bush, right? That Jesus himself, the I am, basically appears in this burning bush and says, I want you to go back to Egypt, back to your people, and lead my people out of there. Moses is like, no, I have a stutter. God's like, that's okay, you can do it. What happens after that, right, is the ten plagues. We know that there are these ten plagues that happen, um, and each one is like hardening Pharaoh's heart more, making him more angry, until finally the Passover happens, when the angel of death comes in, kills every firstborn, except those who have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, which was all the Hebrew people who God had told to do this. And they were all saved. And so at this point, Pharaoh's had enough. And he says, fine, get out of here. And so somewhere around a million, a million and a half people are marching out of Egypt, leaving. Pharaoh let them go. And they were led by God, like with a cloud by day, and then this pillar of fire by night, right? And God is just present with them in an amazing way. They're following a pillar of fire at night. It's a miracle. Of course, what happened was like, okay, they get to the Red Sea. The Red Sea's parted, and it's this amazing miracle. And they're like, wow, we can trust God. He'll save us. And Pharaoh was probably upset. Productivity was a little down, and so he wanted his slaves back. Came to find them, saw that the Red Sea was parted, tried to go in after them. God's like, what are you doing? You can't drive chariots into the sea. Like, that was just for them. This is a special miracle. It's the sea again. And they all drown. Right? And so the Israelites are witnessing this entire Egyptian army defeated by God. And now here they are in the wilderness, and they're being cared for by God in all these miraculous ways. They complain about water. Water gushes out of a rock. They complain about food. Manna falls from heaven, or quail just, like, wander into the camp. And God is providing for them in amazing ways. And they saw more miracles than just about any people ever in any history of time. And I even left some out. There are even more miraculous things that happened. And when it comes to our lives in this journey of faith, we're often tempted to think that, like, when the journey gets hard, um, when we're feeling tired, when we're feeling the fatigue of following Jesus, or when we're tempted to turn back, you know, what we need is God to show up in a powerful way. Like, we just need a miracle. And that would, that would wake us up. That would, that would keep us from turning back, right? If God would just perform a miracle. Um, but the testimony of the story here is that that didn't actually help. What we think we need are these miracles, but the stories that the book of Hebrews in chapter 3 here alludes to basically says otherwise. Um, these people saw miracles. They saw amazing things. But yet, in verse 7 to 11, it records a time in which they rebelled against God. And then verse 15 through the end of the chapter, these very people who saw God who saw the works that he did, didn't actually trust him in the end. They still had an unbelieving heart, and this unbelieving heart led them to fall away, led them to want to turn back, or it led them to basically giving in to these feelings of fatigue and falling asleep at the wheel. And even though God got them through all these amazing things into the promised land, they didn't actually enter the promised land. 
once they got to the promised land, the land of Canaan, right, they sent in spies. God says, hey, this is the land I've given you. Go take it. They sent in spies, and the spies came back and said, like, nope, we're toast. We can't do this. Only two of all the spies that they sent in said that it's doable. Like, God can do this. God can fight for us. We've seen what he's done. But the rest of them said, like, no, there's, like, buff guys in there, so we can't do anything about it. That's literally what they said. They said, we will get stomped on like bugs if we go into the land because the people are too big. So these are people who had just witnessed the most powerful nation on the planet, Egypt, be defeated by God. Um, there's another story where God used them to defeat the Amalekites just by having Moses' arms raised. So they saw two very powerful nations beaten by God. And now here they are at this place where God told them to go into. And they see some guys with big biceps and they say, no, we can't. There's no way. How on earth would this happen? It's like, you have seen all the miracles. You've seen what God can do. You've just witnessed two superpowers defeated. Like, you can trust in God. But they didn't. And instead, they still didn't believe, and they rebelled against Moses. And what happened, what the author of Hebrews basically summarizes here, is that God said, okay, um, I've given you these promises. You can trust me. But if you don't want them, um, you don't have to have them. I'm not going to force you. If you want to stay in the wilderness, or if you want to complain that you want to go back to Egypt, because that's essentially what happened, is they start complaining and saying, Moses, why did you bring us out here? Like, take us back to Egypt. Like, it was so nice when we were slaves. And God's saying, if that's what you want, then you can stay in the wilderness. And what ended up happening is that they did. They stayed in the wilderness. God did not let them enter the promised land. They had enough faith to be delivered from slavery, but not enough to enter the promised land here. And God said, okay, well, then you will stay out in the wilderness, and out of like two, uh, out of like 600,000 of the original generation who were left, only two people got to enter the promised land. Josh and Caleb, those two spies that said, I think God can do this. Everyone else, God's like, okay, we'll just wait until you guys die of old age. If you don't want to enter there, you can stay in the promised land. Two out of, of 600,000 is not great. Do the math for me on that, but not great. And this is kind of a hard story to read, right? And it's a tough illustration to be given here uh, by the author of Hebrews, but this is the illustration that he uses for us. Um, and this is an issue that's going to come up over and over in the book of Hebrews um, of basically, like, what happens if we don't listen? Or what happens if we reject Jesus? And the author of Hebrews um, does not hold back in using these tough, hard illustrations of what happens if we reject Jesus, if we turn back, if we give in to these feelings that make us just want to nap and doze off and not focus on the destination. Like, this is pretty challenging. Um, the implication here is honestly pretty tough. That if the people who rejected Moses die in the wilderness, and if Jesus is greater than Moses, then what happens if people reject Jesus? Like, the author of Hebrews is getting in our face a little bit. It's sees us dozing off and he's giving us a good shake, honestly. This is kind of intense to hear. But the reality is that he's making us uncomfortable on purpose and he's reminding us of this hard truth because dozing off is dangerous, because rejecting God is dangerous. Um, when we have this temptation um, to, to, to doze off, to go off track, or maybe to turn back, God is reminding us in this moment, like, do whatever you need to do. Like, I'll shake you awake. I'll 
pinch, slap, stick your head out the window, whatever you need to do. I want to make sure that you stay awake and you're focused on this journey, that you're aware of who I am and trusting me to get to that destination, not turning off at any other point, but to hold fast to the message that you've heard, hold fast to the faith that you've been given. And you see now, post-resurrection, where we live, um, much later than the 60s. Um, We're much later than all 60s, basically, here. And the author here is saying that, essentially, this is kind of where we found ourselves in the timeline as well. Um, To trust in God's promises in the wilderness, trusting that he'll get us to the destination, right? That this time in which we live is a similar testing time in the wilderness. That following Jesus is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. That there are going to be times when we're tempted to turn back. Tempted to turn back to old sinful ways that we had before we were believers. Or tempted to turn back to these things that we control. Or to turn back to legalism and the law. Or we just get tired and and worn out to lean into the chapter 2 analogy of like the tide going out and we're trying not to drift Eventually, it just gets tiring, and we think, eh, we can just nap, doze off, go with the flow. And the author of Hebrews is, is calling us to hold fast. Hold fast to that faith that you have. Hold fast to the faith that you have in Jesus, and trust that the one who delivered you from slavery is the one who can take you to that promised rest. The one who can finish this work in you. And he's saying that if God is trustworthy, if you can have any faith at all, then you can trust him in all this, in whatever you face. In whatever you face that makes it feel tempting to turn back, in whatever you face that wears you out and makes it feel like it might just not be worth it, that you can trust God in that. And the big point, especially in that story of the Exodus that he's reminding us of, is that you could see the biggest signs and wonders ever, and that's not actually what you need. Um, I don't need to see... God, heal me to have faith. I don't need to see God show up in a new and fresh way to have faith. He's saying, hey, you just need to trust in what you've already heard to have faith. Trust in the one who has gotten you this far and that he can carry you off to the end. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Hold to the confidence in where he's promised that you're going. Hold to the confidence in the one who's with you and who's sustaining you and helping you along the way. Right? That Jesus is the one who's the hero from the previous chapter. He's the one who has done what nobody else can do. He's the one who's walking with us in this. All we have to do is hang on to him. Hang on to him, and we can enter that rest. And so when we're tempted to turn back to those old sinful ways or to try to turn back to the law, to the things that we can control, saying, no, just look to Jesus. Just trust in what he has done. Trust that he's the only one who can actually change the problem of your heart. That the behavior is not actually going to change anything meaningful, but it's actually only his work in your heart. And when following Jesus has just got us fatigued and worn down, and we just want to doze off and give in, he's reminding us of this wake-up call. Look at what happens if you reject Jesus. Don't give in. Focus on the road. Focus on him. Do whatever you need to do to stay awake. You know, boast in your open Christ. 
um, focus on the destination. If you're riding with someone that seems tired, he mentions here, while today is still called today, encourage one another. Don't be like Lena in the car. It's essentially the big message. If you see people who seem like they're dozing off, like help them, shake them awake. Um, lean into community for us ourselves who maybe know that we are tempted um, to doze off or tempted um, to have those feelings of fatigue. Um, are we surrounding ourselves with people who can encourage us, with people who can shake us awake, uh, remind us of the truth, remind us of where we're going, remind us of the destination, and to lean into those, to lean into those, encourage one another, and to hold to Jesus. And it's this great reminder that he has brought you this far, and whatever you can face in your faith, that he will carry you to the end. Just hang on to that. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, we just thank you for your word here. God, as we hear this, um, this challenge that you've provided us in the book of Hebrews here, would you use it um, to open our eyes, um, to wake us up to the realities um, that we face. Um, so many of us here, God, um, can feel beaten down in following you. It can just feel difficult. And God, I just thank you for your grace and your mercy um, that you've not called us to be a people that, that hold to the law, that manage this on our, on our own, but you've just called us to be a people who believe and trust in you. And so God, I just pray for us in this room um, when we feel like we have not lived up to the standard that we need and we start to question whether or not you are with us. Would you just remind us of the grace of Jesus Christ poured out for us, not because of anything we did, but simply because of him. Would you remind us of that? And God, I just ask that you would empower us to be a people who can encourage one another, um, who have this sense of urgency, um, sharing your gospel and reminding one another of this call of faith. While today is still called today, God, we just see the sense of urgency. We want to be a people um, who are used by you to encourage one another. Would you just help us? In and God, as we come now before your table, would you just remind us of the, the sacrifice that Jesus has made? Would you continue to solidify that in our hearts and minds? We just recognize that we feel like we face so many different things in our lives that can lead us astray or off track from you. Um, and really all we need is to be reminded of your son, Jesus. So we thank you for this powerful reminder that it is today. So Jesus, we pray that this would be an act of worship to you, praising you and honoring and glorifying you. So it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So it's that, that we are going to enter into communion. So I'm going to go ahead and invite you um, up from your seats um, to grab the communion elements here. We have two at the front and one in the back. And would you just grab it and then return to your seats, and we're going to take communion together. So I'm going to go ahead and invite you to grab that right now.
plastic bag. You have your bread there. But I just want to remind us here of when, when Jesus first instituted communion, the Lord's Supper, they were celebrating the Passover. And they were having this Passover meal in which they remembered the blood of the Lamb spread on the doorpost, saving them from death and leading to their deliverance, to their rescue from Egypt. And Jesus instituted this at this time for a reason. Because we know that he is the lamb who was slain for us. And just as the, the lamb, the body was, was broken um, to take the, the atonement, the punishment for our sins, Jesus' body was broken for us. So as you eat this, if you remember that Jesus' body is broken for you. So let's take and eat this together. And in the same way, Jesus took a glass of wine and, and reminded them of how the blood was painted on the doorpost. And, and just as that blood was painted on, on the doorposts, now the blood of Christ, the new covenant, is painted on your hearts. And because of it, all our sins are forgiven. Because of it, our hearts are changed. So would you drink this? Father God, we just thank you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus. Um, we come before this humbly, rem remembering the great significance of this new covenant that we have been invited into. The pain and the punishment that Jesus took on our behalf, and the blood poured out to wash us clean. That now you have forgiven anything and everything that we've done, that you have changed our hearts in ways that the law never could have. And that just as you have painted your blood on the doorposts of our hearts, you've saved us from death and allowed us to be alive in Christ and to live for your purposes. And so God, we just come before you humbly. And now we turn to you in worship and praise for all that you've done. And would you just keep on the sacrifice of Jesus on our hearts and minds as we sing this song. So Jesus, we just turn to you in praise. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Church, as you go, would you go with the words of Hebrews chapter 3? See it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence that we had at first. So grace and peace, common ground. Have a wonderful week.